All right. Well, All right. good morning. I need everybody to make sure you're muted and press star one. And let's get started. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kelly S. from Oklahoma, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, September 28th. Today we are going to be reading from the big book, and we are on page 151 on the last paragraph. It starts with, now and then, a serious drinker, and we'll be reading and commenting on just that one paragraph. So today's readers are for the 12 steps, Sarah S., 12 traditions, Deborah R. Our readers are going to be Katie G. and Penny C. The reference numbers or share IDs for Wednesday, yesterday, September 27th, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time, 10478, and the 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 10480. OA Preamble Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, quote, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers, end quote. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sarah S. to read the 12 steps. Sarah, press star one. Sarah, we can't hear you. Kelly, this is Melanie C. I can do that. Thank you, Melanie. You're welcome. Melanie C., Recover Compulsive Overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, 
Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you so much, Melanie, for that service. And I will now ask Deborah R. to read the 12 traditions. Thank you. This is Deborah R. Our com- one, our common welfare ought to come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group ought to be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive leader who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to fully be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. And 11, our public relations Policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you, Deborah R. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share. Um, It sounds like somebody is unmuted, so if you can press star one, that'd be great. All right, sorry. But we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 151. We're on the very last paragraph that starts with now and then a serious drinker. We'll be reading on that one paragraph and commenting on that one paragraph. And I will now ask Katie G. to begin reading. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, my fellows. This is Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic in Boston, Mass. Now and then, a serious drinker, being dry at the moment, says, I don't miss it at all, feel better, work better, having a better time. As ex-problem drinkers, we smile at such a sally. 
We know our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. He fools himself. Inwardly, he would give anything to take half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game again, for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know loneliness, as such few do. He will be at the jumping off point. He will wish for the end. And I am starting my timer. Yeah, I mean, how many times did I go on a diet and say, feel better, work better, having a better time? Like, I don't know. When I'm reading this, I'm I'm not really believing our friend and this Sally, this funny comment. And, um, you know, I would go on diets, and my primary purpose was to get away with food. Like, how many points can I get away with today? And, um, you know, I just was thinking about it. That was has really been a struggle for me in Over Ears Anonymous, like getting away with food, you know. And um, it's been a profound shift from being on a diet versus being on a food plan. Because when I was on a diet, it was like, oh, well, I can have excess amount of vegetables, or I can have this, or I can have that, and it's free, and I can get away with it, and, and it's okay, and it took me, or sugar-free gum. I used to chew $400 worth of gum a month, and I would have the laxative effect. I was so afraid right, to put food down. I was profoundly afraid of what was going to happen to me if I stopped hand to mouth, and I wanted to get away. And the shift for me from going as a recovering person to recovered is at the end of the day, it don't matter what my sponsor know. It don't matter what you know. If I'm still trying to get away with something, whether it be a food or a food behavior or cheating or dishonesty, guess what? I'm not going to live. I'm not going to be recovered, even if I believe I am, because that's the lie. I I can't get away with it. Um, It's not possible. You know why? Because there's something between me and God, and I can't get to God. Anything I put before God is a God. Um, And I love this, like, I this is this is where I want to be crushed. You know, this this person is crushed. Like, I remember not knowing life. What was life going to be like if I stop exercising bulimically and throwing up? What is life going to be like? I can't continue, but what is life going to be like if I stop? That, to me, is a kind of torture and terror that, you know, I never want to know again, you know, and that's that's where we're getting because – I never was happy about my abstinence. I never was like, oh, yay, I'm going to put this stuff down. Like it felt like don't take this away from me. Like food and body weight and throwing up, they were my safe havens. And today, thanks be to God, you know what? I'm at a jumping off place every day but a good one, right? Like I want to jump off. I want God to take away any blocks between me and God because I just want freedom. And freedom comes from entire abstinence and working the steps. And I'm going to keep showing up with you guys one more day. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Katie G. Okay, so who would like to share on the paragraph? That was just right. This is Larry. Barbara E. Barbara R. Kim G. Kim G. 
Nessa R. Harlan G. Let's stop for just a minute. Let's stop for just a minute. Um, here's all I heard so far. Larry K. Uh, Barbara E. Kim G. Harlan G. And Nessa R. Beth B. Okay, let's stop there. Did I hear Janice? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Janice, what, tell me again your last name, your last initial. Yeah, Janice M. I knew it, but I couldn't think. Thank okay, you, let's Nessa. stop there. Anybody I missed, we'll get it the next round. So here's our lineup for today so far. Larry K., Barbara E., Kim G., Harlan G., Nessa R., Janice M., Melissa C., and Beth B. So if everybody can press star one. And we will start with Larry K. followed by Barbara E. Good morning, Larry. Larry, are you there? Star one. So sorry about that. Can you hear me now? I can. Okay. Sorry about that. Larry K. Recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. It's where being a guy is helpful, actually. You can hear my voice. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh yeah, you know, we smile at such a Sally. You know, Sally is, you know, kind of a, you know, spoke with passion and exuberance, kind of a, a funny way of saying things, you know, that, you know, because when I was, when I was um, in this program and I was, um, and I was dieting and I was, I was trying to dabble in the steps and, you know, there were times where I tried to convince myself that, you know, that uh, I had this disease licked. You know, I had it beat because sometimes the cravings went away and that was part of, you know, with an alcoholic, uh, they're not drinking 24 seven every second of every day. There are, they can, it's unpredictable how much they're going to take. And at certain times they can show restraint. Same with me. And sometimes they don't feel the craving. Same with me in my untreated condition. My spiritual malady had not been treated. It was untreated as the result of these steps. And yet at certain times I felt like, Hey, I'm part of the group. I'm dieting. Now I didn't want to hear that I was dieting. I I thought I was in program. I was going to meetings, sometimes 90 meetings in 90 days. I was doing a lot of work and I would be whistling in the dark, but you know, it talks about, we, we talk about being abstinent happily. I wasn't happy. I was fighting this mostly and I knew it. So we smile at such a Sally when we hear those things. And, you know, this isn't a program of positive affirmations. It's not a practical program of, uh, you know, winning friends and influencing people and directing and judging and guiding the, all the external things around us. It's not that. It's really about the destruction of the ego. You know, self-centeredness has to be the ego has to be smashed and the steps do a tremendous job of doing that. They don't tear you down and reduce you to nothing, but they right size you these steps through this process. You're brought into alignment with God. And one of the things that happens is the obsession is lifted. Many other things happen from my experience, but that's one of the things. And you know, you have to trust the process. I I needed to trust the process in the midst of, of uncertainty and unpredictability as to whether or not it was going to work for me. I didn't know it was going to work for me. I didn't know that I was going to be brought into alignment with my higher power, that the power was going to flow into me and change me, transform me. But that's indeed what happened. So today, 
wrapping up, I'll say that I'm not whistling in the dark. I don't have to, you don't have to smile at such a Sally when I tell you that there's, by the grace of God, I have neutrality around the food. See, that's been done on my behalf. Now I just have to stay on the beam of recovery one day at a time. I get to show up, suit up, right, and show up. Thanks so much. With that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Larry Kay. Next up is Barbara E., followed by Kim G. Good morning, everyone. This is Barbara E., and thank you for so much for your service today. I had to jump in immediately because it's the line inwardly he would give anything to eat without consequences. That's all I wanted. I didn't want to give up all those donuts and pasta. I didn't want to give up the candy bars and the bread slathered with butter. I just wanted to be able to eat it without any consequences. And I would go on diets. I wouldn't go on them happily, but with the foolish, foolish delusion that once I dieted myself thin, I'd be normal because thin was normal, and then I could go back to the bread with butter. I was whistling in the dark. On the diet, I was hanging on to the cliff with my fingers dangling precariously off the edge. But then, somehow, some way, a true, unselfish, abiding love, which I call my higher power, found its way into me, and I found really did find that the most difficult battles in life are those with, with, that I fight within myself. And when I found my purpose, when I found my purpose and never let go of it, I developed a peace which was a product of both this patience and persistence and leaning in for spiritual growth, not just spiritual maintenance. But once again, all I wanted to do was eat and not show it. I was like that boy whistling in the dark. I was fooling myself, fooling myself for years, hanging on, hanging on until I snapped, like the jaywalker, like the man who decides foolishly to go into a bar to look for a car. Mm-hmm. For no re- reason at all, I would pick up the food, and then not stop. My forgetter would kick in, and I'd say, I'll stop at midnight, and then I'll stop on National Diet Day, Monday, and then I'll stop the first day of the new year. I was foolish. I was unwilling. I didn't realize that I could lean in and trust and be patient, and follow good orderly direction. Thank you so much. I pass. I look forward to hearing everyone else. Thank you, Barbara E. Next up, Kim G., followed by Harlan G. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Kelly. And I just want to say a sense of gratitude. Moderators, you do such a great job, but, man, what a first-class problem. We have so many people mm-hmm. whom the problem has been solved who want to share. First-class problems here. Um, so I, I, this, this hits my heart. He fools himself. 
inwardly. He would give anything, anything to have a half a dozen drinks. He isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life with alcohol, and he'll be able to unimagine it without alcohol. Man, does that mimic my personal experience? Because my personal experience is, in the first 17 years in OA, what I did is I worked a nine or eight or nine step, eight or nine tool program with occasional step work. And usually that step work was based on opinion. And what were the results? What were the results when I disrespected Overeaters Anonymous and treated it as a program of a diet program with group support? I experienced temporary respite. I, there were times that I tried to control and enjoy my eating, which was mimicked by the idea that I would go to certain meetings and have two slices of pizza and then go to the meeting, thinking the meeting could keep me from going back and getting more pizza. But there were times, too, where I was an abstinence-only program where I had to avoid people, places, and things. I had to avoid triggers. I was looking out for halt. I was keeping myself so distracted hoping to go to bed exhausted but having beat the food one more day. I would think to myself, no matter what happens today, if I am abstinent, that's a good day. So what I was doing is I was settling for misery. I was settling for the four horsemen we studied a couple days ago as long as I was abstinent. What a miserable life. You know, I, I experienced that idea of wishing for the end. But I experienced that not only in the food, I experienced it when I was abstinent. And honestly, it was more painful when I was abstinent because I had no buffer. I love Lyon and Bill's story. Food was my master. And I have to tell you, food was my master when I was eating, and food was my master when I was abstinent. Because if I was eating, then the way I went to work was to get to all those food places so I could tolerate the day by eating. And if I was not eating... I had to take a different route to work because I had to avoid those things. If I was eating, my social situations were around getting to the food. And if I was not eating, my social situations had to totally avoid the food. So the food was my master regardless because me untreated, only treating the allergy is a miserable place to live. I didn't fear dying many times. I feared living that way till I was 99. And if any of this sounds familiar, if any of you are, are right now living in this paragraph, just let me know there is a solution. And that solution is putting down the food 100% to address the allergy, entire abstinence, and the second is due to steps to have an entire psychic change. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Kim G. Next up, Harlan G., followed by Nessa R. Good morning, Harlan. Good morning, Kelly. I want to thank you, Kelly and uh, Katie and all the rest of Team Thursday for your magnificent service this morning and making this meeting possible. There's 317 of us on the line this morning. Kenahora, what a wonderful, wonderful miracle uh, of recovery. Um, I could I could almost pass and let Kim just just say what I was going to say because I'm going to be sort of like uh, a carbon copy of what she just said. I never went on a diet because I woke up one day and said, I want to go on a diet. I went on diets from the time I was six and seven years old because people put enormous pressure on me to lose weight. There would be an event. There would be some reason why I would be temporarily motivated to lose weight. There would be something looming in the future. 
where I felt I needed to give it the college try or somebody would pressure the heck out of me or I would have a crush on a girl and I would try to lose weight to impress her. It says in the paragraph, I don't miss it at all. Feel better, work better, having a better time. What a liar I was. People would say to me, don't you feel better now? And I'd say, yeah, I feel better now. What I really wanted to say to them is, yes, when I'm not in recovery and I'm not eating cookies and I'm not eating, I'm not overeating compulsively, I feel anger better. I feel fear better. I feel like killing myself better. I feel lots of things much, much better. Because I need that food when I'm not in recovery to give me respite from the storm. And that food was killing me. Food was never my problem. Food was the solution to my problem. The problem was the buildup of everyday, normal, human emotion. And stripped of that food, I had no solution. And I would go to meetings, as Kim just said. I would go to meetings and hope to get this program by osmosis. I would sit in the meeting and hope to hear something that would help me stay on my diet. And I never did. I would often say to myself, that's pretty amazing. Wow, fear, false evidence appearing real, and pull into McDonald's. I would often hear things like, wow, if you do what you did, you'll get what you got, and pull into Burger King. Because those sayings, those expressions, did not help me stay on my diet. What helped me, because I could not see life with food, I could not see life without the food, and I knew when I was on a diet that I could lose weight pretty quickly because when you're way overweight weight, and you're young, weight falls off you pretty quickly. But I knew that I'd be back in the food because I never really saw that there would be a day when I would be willing to give up my binge foods. Never really Time. saw it. And I'll close with this. The only solution is the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous as prescribed in the big book and through a spiritual awakening as the result of those steps, I have lost 500 pounds and I have done so happily. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Harlan G. Next up, we have Nessa R. followed by Janice, Janice M. Good morning, Nessa. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R., recovered uh, compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, when I first came into OA and I was taught about abstinence, you know, nothing tastes as good as abstinence feels. I had the unrealistic expectation that once I became abstinent, everything would be okay. Everything would be okay. My life would be okay. I would feel better. Things would go well. Uh, the food wouldn't call. Um, you know, just it would, be, it would be utopia. And, of course, um, the only thing I was doing by, by being abstinent is addressing the allergy of the body. But I did nothing to address the obsession of the mind because I, I didn't know better. You know, I wasn't taught better. I didn't know better. I showed up to meetings. I, um, I read a page of literature every day. I made three phone calls. 
you know, I did all those things and it didn't get any easier. And of course, you know, um, after a while I've become too uncomfortable and too unable to tolerate the discomfort and the torture of the mental obsession and I go back into the food. Um, and I see this happening in the rooms now, um, you know, to other people, you know, expecting that abstinence alone is going to solve all the problems, um, but not being really willing uh, because we don't expect there to be any, any discomfort in abstinence, not being willing to tolerate the discomfort. And so for nine years, I did this. I did this. I became abstinent and I went back into the food. I became abstinent and it became too uncomfortable and I went back into the food because I wasn't really addressing the real problem, which is, you know, that mental obsession that tortures me, that tortures me and, and anybody who's an addict into believing that food is going to make it better, notwithstanding the fact that I thought and believed and hoped that uh, abstinence actually would make things better. And abstinence is just a beginning, and that's what it says in, in page 19. Abstinence is but a beginning. The elimination of alcohol is but a beginning. You know, I needed to work the steps because it's the only thing that affects the mental transformation that removes the, um, that removes the, the mental push to go back into the food. And, you know, this is uh, the other point I wanted to make, the jumping off point. You know, because there's nothing we can do about the discomfort at the very beginning stages. You know, we're just starting to, to, to work uh, on the steps. Um, we, might have, we must be able to tolerate that discomfort, be willing to tolerate that discomfort. And the only thing that did it for me was when the pain of being in the food Time. became, thank you, I'm going to wrap up, uh, when, the when the pain of being in the food became greater than the pain of not being in the food. And that made me willing to tolerate the discomfort, to work the steps um, and recover. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jessica R. Next up is Janice M. followed by Melissa C. Good morning, Janice. Yes, good morning to you, Kelly. This is Janice M. And I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. I just got a text interrupting me, saying that my girlfriend's son just died, and that's from this disease. And, uh, you know, that's very sad. Uh, when we have a solution here, when I have a solution, it's already written for me what to do, and we refuse to. I mean, it's, it's insane. It's insane. Well, of course, you know, I was, I can identify so much. I mean, everybody said so much. You know, abstinence for me, I've been around a long time. Abstinence was the solution. It was the solution. I'll just stop. I stopped thousands of times, but I also picked up a thousand times. Why could I not stay stopped? Because I was powerless to stay stopped. I could go on a diet. I could go on a food plan. I could stay abstinent temporarily, but then it would start again. If I took a poll of all of us online and I said, how many were on a diet? Everybody would say, yes, I was. Or maybe a few would say no. How many, you know, lost the weight and everything? Oh, a lot of us would say yes. But we always went back. I know I did. 
uh, always went back because of my powerlessness. And that's when I always was deceiving myself that, okay, I'm happy now. See, I lost my weight. I look good. But I was never satisfied. I was never satisfied with the food, and I was never satisfied without the food. That's my nature because of my spiritual problem, my spiritual illness. And that's why abstinence alone didn't work for me, no matter what I did, no matter what pill I could get. <laughs> because when I, when I was stopped, I, I had to start again because I, had to, I have a problem, a dual problem, a problem of the allergy of the body. I had no power over that allergy, over that craving, once I put that substance in me. So to think that this time is going to be different is crazy. So, therefore, but I forgot, I have an obsession of the mind that tells me it's okay now, Janice. You've been abstinent for a year. You can go back. See, you're doing good. No, I still don't have the power. That's my problem, powerlessness. So it's simple. The allergy is treated by me not putting in certain foods. But the mind is where my thinking is that I need a power, and I'm not that power. And, you know, that's what the steps does for us. That's why I couldn't stay stopped because my mind was still tell me it was clever. Go ahead. You can go back. You've been, you know, you've been away from it a long time. You're getting old. You might as well start again. You know, your husband's sick, this and that. Stop the food. No. I have to time. have power. And that's when I will pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Janice M. Next up, Melissa C., followed by Beth B. Hi. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, you know, the beginning part of the paragraph um, was me every time I started a diet. It was me in every, every time I, you know, bought into the scheme. And, I would buy every product that the diet um, suggested I buy, you know, from their ready-made foods or whatever, the little measuring cups that they said you had to use or the different colored, like, pads. Or I mean, I bought it all, and I would, I would say, ah, this is it. This is the answer. And, my God, I feel so much better. Um, you know, I felt better just having bought it, like just having purchased the items because now I was going to get this. I was going to get um, this because, for me, it was weight. It was always the weight because, secretly, um, I did not want to put the food down. I wanted to get away with being able to eat. And so, like, uh, lookalike foods for me were, um, like, the answer. If it, you know, like, I loved um, any kind of food that looked like the real thing but um, had lower calories or lower points and thought I could get away with it. But um, they trigger the same thing in me, I've discovered, that the real food does because I'm looking for an effect. I'm looking for some vicarious thrill um, from food, and food can no longer be that way for me. And so for me, like, the huge jumping-off point was when I had um, was got some education, you know, <laughs> um, which isn't enough to have a spiritual solution, but it was enough to ruin the binge. And so I put down a whole host of foods, but I was still looking to get an effect. I was looking to get away with it. 
So I was eating uh, abstinent foods uh, in an unabstinent manner. And, um, and that was like the jumping off point because I could not consume enough food to get me to zero, which is where I needed to get. I needed to get to a place where I was calm and, and could think clearly and my um, tolerance, the amount of food that was required to get me there was greater and greater and greater. And I was in tremendous physical pain and I could not imagine putting the food down and I couldn't imagine not putting about the time that I started calling in this meeting and I heard people say they're recovered. You know, they weren't recovering. Nobody was talking too much about food. Nobody was talking, you know, calories. Um, that's the jumping off point for me. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Next up is Beth B. Good morning. Hi. Um, Hi. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. This is Beth B., a recovering um, compulsive overeater from Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, wow, everybody's share. I just love hearing everyone talk, so I want to thank everyone for sharing their experience, strength, and hope with me. Um, I always get so intimidated because I am uh, I am very, very new and fresh to the program, uh, having only been in um, a 12-step program for my uh, compulsive overeating for a year. So um, it always makes me nervous to share what could I possibly have to offer. And, um, and I sit here and think about it. I have a fresh perspective to offer in, in terms of um, what it's like, uh, you know, working the steps um, and putting the food down at the same time, which is something that I had never done prior to uh, even coming onto a vision. So which I've only been listening for a couple of months. Uh, working, working the steps and putting the food down, complete abstinence and working the steps together has afforded me a freedom that no diet ever afforded me. Um, I specifically always go back to the point system because that was my favorite go-to. It's like, okay, that's my answer. And uh, the last time I walked into uh, one of those meetings um, with, you know, that fresh commitment that this is going to be it and I'm going to get to the lifetime membership type deal, um, I, I, I didn't uh, ever lose any weight um, because I was that person that wanted to get away with as many points as I could. And I would always sneak a point or two. Oh, one or two points weren't hurt. Well, those points added up apparently because I, the last time I was in Weight Watchers, I did not lose a single pound. Um, had a, a baby at the age of 40, 41 and knew I was insane by that point. And that's how I ended up uh, kind of finding my way uh, to, to OA eventually. Um, yesterday I went to the store and a very dangerous proposition for me when I go on, on an unplanned errand and it was unplanned and I in, ended up in the store because I had to go and, um, 
wow. Uh, you know, I I wasn't. I'm not gonna lie. I looked at it. I looked at my drugs. I looked at them. I thought, wow. But you know what? I didn't. I didn't buy them, and I could have. I could have gotten away with it. And that's what working the steps is doing for me. It is. It is removing that almost sneaky peek attitude toward food um, where, you know, yeah, other people Time. may not know I did that, but I do. Um, so thank you for letting thank me share. Thank you for letting and me I share. And I will... Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Somebody is unmuted. Somebody is unmuted. I need everybody to press the one. All right. That's much better. Thank you. Okay, so I'm just going to remind you guys where we're at. We are on page 151, last paragraph. Now and then, a serious drinker. Who would like to comment on this? Madam. Lisa B. I need everybody to stop, please, and press star one. Here's where I have what I have. Matt M, Lisa B, Leia M, Lori C, and Reva P. So we're going to do that line up there, if everyone makes sure you're muted. And we'll start with Matt M, followed by Lisa B. Good morning, Matt. Are you there, Matt? Star one. Can you hear me? Yes, now I can. Yeah, I keep getting muted by someone. Hi, good morning. morning. This is Matt M. Gopalsal Over Eater from New Jersey. Um, yeah, this is very hard. I always thought that I can get this on my own. I wouldn't need OA to put the food down. I thought that I can do this without any help whatsoever. And, you know, I, I am like that Sally sometimes thinking that, you know, I can put it down for a little bit and then go back to eating pizza and candy and cookies because I can. I, I just wasn't away from it just for a long time where I, I, I didn't need it anymore. But that's not the case. I have to put some of these foods down permanently because they're like, they're like, they're like heroin, as, some, as someone shares what the food is to him. And I need to leave them alone. And um, just for today, I, I'm to plan. I only have today, and that's what I have for myself to put those foods down and leave them alone. Because I don't want to be like that person lying to myself, telling myself, "Oh, it's okay this time," you know. Because and here's how, you know. That, yeah, and I don't want to be like that person. I want to be someone who could be abstinent, working on their recovery, and then eventually sponsoring. I don't want to be in denial over this disease because this disease has pushed me to the point of the brink of exhaustion and denial, and I refuse to be like that anymore. And I'm grateful just for today. I don't have to be like that. I want that all past. Thank you. Thank you, Matt M. Next up is Lisa B. Followed by Leia M. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. This is Lisa B. Can I be heard? Yes. Okay, thank you. Good morning. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you for your service, and thank you for everyone that is here. Um, you know, in this reading, the one word that really jumped out at me is the word inwardly um, on page 152. And inwardly is, it says, um, a particular thought, feeling, or action registered or existing in the mind but not expressed to others. And I, for some reason that just really jumped out at me because I had this whole inward secret life 
you know, and I've learned in this fellowship, in this program, and in this book that it's not what I don't know that is my uh, problem. It's what I think I know. And then when it says he cannot picture life without alcohol, so, you know, with this whole secret life going on inside of me, um, all of my secret thoughts and ideas and what I think is right and what I think is not right, and it really wasn't until I started working with someone um, in whom the problem had been solved and began doing this, the work of this book, you know, not really her thoughts and theories, but really the work of this book and what this book is asking of me, um, something began to happen, this, this spotlight, the light of my higher power is what I think it is, you know, began to expose all of those things that had been my hindrances. And um, they, they really, now I'm free. You know, I am free as a result of working these steps. But I had to have a clear mind and a clear body by putting my drugs down, all of my drugs entirely, and in my alcoholic food behaviors, putting those down, and, you know, even today as a recovered person, which I'm so grateful for, so, so grateful for that, that line, he cannot picture life without alcohol, you know, that can still be an issue for me, not picturing life without food or alcohol, but picturing things the way I think they should be. And it's really um, being willing each day by the grace of my higher power, the, my higher power gives me that willingness um, to take the action steps every day of all of these steps, especially 10 steps. And getting insight from another person, you know, what they're seeing. When I keep things secret inside of me and what I think is so, and I'm thinking I'm right, I'm thinking I'm right, that is the beginning of a downfall for me because the greater aspect of this illness resides in my mind. I don't know. I don't know anything. You know, the only thing I know is that I am powerless over food and my substances and my food behaviors. and um, I need a power greater than myself to to help me. And I need the work of these 12 steps to expel that, to bring about that spiritual awakening, to bring about that personality change. But I need all of you. I need my recovered fellows, and I need the newcomers desperately, probably more than they need me. And it's a one-day-at-a-time thing based on my spiritual condition. So with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Lisa B. Next up is Leah M. followed by Lori C. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Kelly. Thank you very much. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. You know, I remember that spot. Uh, Very painful. Being cornered by my disease. It was like a double standard. You know, part of me felt like if I didn't binge, I'm going to die. But that competed with if I continue binging, it's going to kill me. You know, so I was cornered. You know, I was screwed. And the reality is that when I was merely abstinent, it was extremely painful um, because I had a rough time living. You know, the big book says, uh, setting aside the drink problem, why was I making such a heavy going of life? And that speaks to me of the unmanageability that I had in living. You know, um, in, in the text, it simply refers to that part as our human problems. It doesn't even call it our alcoholic problems. It says that I'm prey to misery, to depression, fear. I can't be of real use to other people. I have no real satisfaction. And that's exactly what was happening. And so food diluted that. 
you know, for a long time, food diluted that feeling of fear, of, of frustration, of hopelessness, of uselessness. But at a point in my eating career, the diluting ceased. And instead of diluting those emotions, it only intensified them. And I kept uh, eating to recapture the ability to dilute. And it was just a vicious cycle because it's hard to be comfortable when all my life I was trying to be somebody and feel like something and aspire to be equal. And yet I had this desperate need to feel superior. I mean, it's just, (laughs) it's impossible to be in to be comfortable in that situation. And, uh, you know, the vice just got tighter and tighter and tighter on me until I gave up, until I threw in the towel. And, you know, if you're new or not so new and you've been hanging around OA for a while, you know everything uh, you need to know about compulsive overeating. You're the expert on compulsive overeating. What I didn't know prior to January 1987 was how does Leia live in Leia without having to binge to tolerate it? Day in, day out, through crisis, through failure, through events, through life. How do I live in my house with my family, with my husband, (laughs) and not have to eat over that? And that is the secret of what Overeaters Anonymous and the 12 Steps have to offer. Uh, That secret, that yes, it's possible, wrapping up, uh, to be relieved of the mental obsession for food and be able to have such dramatic change in personality, character, and values that I live comfortably, usefully, and happily. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you so much, Leah M. And next up is Lori C., followed by Reva P. Good morning, Lori. Good morning. Thank you so much. It's so good to be here with you all. It's Lori P., I recovered compulsive eater. Um, I'm just, I just ache when I see that. I may cry. He will wish for the end. Um, I was a fat kid. And, you know, according to the pictures, I guess it probably became noticeable that I was a little bit larger, um, six or seven by 13. I was, I weighed in at Weight Watchers. My mother took me at 199 and three quarters. It was that precise. <laughs> and uh, I didn't lose my weight through Weight Watchers. I lost it through um, really restriction and exercise um, a few years later. <clears throat> and I lost my weight. And I finally got a boyfriend. And I decided I'd do the deal, and I got pregnant the very first time I had intercourse. Well, with my mother, I'm 17 at this point. With my mother, I'd gone from being um, what she referred to as a sausage when she saw me in my clothes because they were so tight to now being a whore. And I wish for the end on either side of that um, because my state of body made absolutely no change in my life circumstances. And as a child... I don't know if I could have done the steps. I don't know if there's a kiddie program for OA. I'd like to see the recovery. I really had no other way to survive. I didn't know what to do with that pain, and I wished for the end. I didn't try to kill myself, but I wished for the end. I didn't want to create the end, but I wished the end would come like a bad movie. Can it just end? And so what I appreciate about this paragraph is 
this paragraph, but especially the next sentence, and I know I'm jumping on it, forgive me. We've shown them how we got from under. This book, can it has shown me a way out from that feeling that I want life to end, that I don't want to do it myself. I don't even have the courage to take my own life. I just want, as usual, someone to come and end life for me. It has gotten me out of all those dependent things. The inventory helped me see I couldn't have prevented my mother, and I can be honest about that, but I can also deal with my emotions. So these 12 steps have not only saved my life for the future and the present, it has saved my past. I've been able to go back and look at that differently. And while I may still cry about it, I don't wish for the end to come. Every day is a new beginning, and I look forward to that new beginning. And that's what's so wonderful about this book is that there is, this book can show us how we got out from under that and what, what a gift that is to be walking around wanting life to end, to be transformed, saying, I can't wait for today to start. And so thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you so much for this fellowship. And everybody have a beautiful day, and I pass. Thank you so much, Lori. Next up is Reva P. Good morning, Reva. Good morning. It's Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. I want to share about the jumping off place because for me, this is referring to not a physical bottom, not a physical complication as a result of binging my brains out bottom, but a spiritual bottom. And getting to a spiritual bottom where I can't get drunk enough I can't get the effect with copious amounts of food. Like it's just not doing it for me. And I can't get sober. And I'm in this middle place where I'm totally stuck. I can't go back to what I was doing to get the same effect. And I can't go forward. And that is the turning point when I say, It's not doing it for me. I can't go on. And as was shared so beautifully at the convention, that is my turning point to hope. Because until I reach that point, it has nothing to do with the number on the scale. It has nothing to do with what doctors tell me in terms of all the physical consequences of this disease. It has to do with coming to a bottom spiritually And I can't give that to anybody. It's a one-person job. And until I get to that place, I will not embrace what it says in this vision for me. I will not do the work. And you know what? It's the same thing in recovery. When I get to that bottom with a defect, where I just can't behave like that anymore, I just can't think like that anymore because it's killing me, but I have no idea how to do it differently that's when I become willing to give it to God and have God show me how to be and how to do this thing differently. It's so much more than the food. It's all my thinking, my philosophies, all the lies I've told myself, all my behaviors. When I get to that point where I can't do it this way anymore, I have no idea how I'm supposed to do it, but let's do the step work and God will show me. Um, that's the, the, the amazing part. That's where there's hope. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Reva P. 
Thank you to everyone who shared. Thank you, Team Thursday. It is a gift and a pleasure to be able to moderate this incredible, massive group of people all committed to the big book. So please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. Today's share ID, Thursday, September 28th, is 10484. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Penny C. please read A Vision for You? Yes. Good morning, Kelly. This is Penny C., a recovered compulsive overeater from the Boston area. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.